Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family by using real estate as your vehicle. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. everyone and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host Lolita, also joined by Kyle. On the show with us today, we have Mina Folkman. Mina, thanks so much for joining us. How's it going? Sure, thanks for having me. I'm doing pretty well. Good. Uh, Before we hop right in, here's a little bit about Mina. Mina is a real estate investor in residential rental properties. Among her various investments, she is a limited partner investor in multiple multifamily apartment properties. Mina is a former business development professional in the tech industry, and even prior to that, she was a business analyst at Fannie Mae. So we're excited to learn about your passive investments, especially given your background with Fannie Mae. So with that being said, Mina, could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Yeah, sure. Um, This is maybe a surprise to most people, but I am first and foremost a stay-at-home mom to three children. They are three years old, two years old, and three months old. I've actually been a stay-at-home mom since my first was born three years ago. And what that really means is that I'm a zombie who has like 10 jobs, and (laughs) one of those jobs is investing in real estate. I, um, I started more seriously investing in real estate just about a year ago. Uh, so I still consider myself um, an intermediate uh, investor. <laughs> the current portfolio includes, um, my current portfolio includes a few independently owned properties out of state, as well as uh, limited partnerships and a few apartment syndications that are also out of state. Perfect. Well, it sounds like you are a very busy person. So we want to definitely get into that and how you manage your your real estate portfolio. So can you tell us your story about how you got started investing passively in real estate? Yeah, of course. Um, Shortly after having my first baby, it became pretty clear to me that I didn't want to spend time away from her for my corporate job. The commute alone would have taken me two to three hours every day and I couldn't stomach that. So I quit. And uh, that was a pretty big decision given how expensive living in San Francisco is for families. And I, as you can imagine, I became really anxious, thinking really often about how to make our lives work without me working outside the home. You know, there's only so much that budgeting and clipping coupons could do. Times are different from when my mother, you know, when my mother or other moms um, from the generation stayed home. And at this point, you know, we added another baby to the family and we had two kids and we were getting so close to the break even point. Um, obviously I'm not the only stay home parent who is stressed out about money. I belong to uh, a few moms groups on Facebook that are local and I've been reading threads related to money for a while. For a lot of people, money really isn't an easy thing to talk about, but occasionally someone would ask for ideas on how to make additional income on the side while staying at home with the kids. And typical answers uh, are picking up freelance consulting work, online sales, or something along those lines. And I didn't find these options really inspiring, and I felt stuck in our finances because really, where is most of our income going right now? It's taxes and mortgage and preschool tuitions, and never mind saving for retirement and, and, and college expenses. Um, 
So I was really nervous. Uh, one day I stumbled across a very typical thread where someone was asking if now is the right time to buy or rent a house in San Francisco. It's my favorite question. And this one mom, her name is Julie. She suggested to her, to the woman who posted the question, that instead of buying, she should consider using the money to invest in apartment deals that will generate cash, passive cash flow. It was a pretty crazy opposite of what I've been taught my entire life. But honestly, I think what that was exactly what I needed to start working on feeling less stuck, something so crazy and radical. So I reached out to her, to Julie, and we had a long conversation about how she has been investing in apartment syndications for a while and how thanks to the cash flow that they generated, she was thinking about quitting her job in law. She was a working mother. And you know, up to this point, I've been doing the traditional narrative of uh, graduate from a good school, get a good job, get married, have kids, buy a house, and then pay it off for the next 30 years. Then you'll be living rent-free, maybe when you're 60 to 70 years old, but really good luck with retirement and college. Again, um, I had a lot to unpack. And even though I grew up seeing my own parents invest in rental properties, they weren't really intentional about their investments. There wasn't a lot of research or analysis and type of investments that they made. So the next couple months, I soaked up everything I could in the shortest amount of time. You could imagine me, you know, after putting the kids to bed, putting on my headphones and folding laundry and listening to all kinds of podcasts related to investing in real estate in general. I reread um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, a bunch of other books, went in bigger pockets every day, reading their blog posts and listening through webinars and podcasts and tons of other resources and connected with people who could help me think through my goals in investing and my investment principles and strategy. So once I finished my research, it was pretty clear that the benefits of investing in apartment syndications in particular as a stay-at-home mom uh, were huge. Uh, you know, not too long ago, I closed on a, on a duplex out of state, and while I think it's a pretty solid investment, acquiring a property on my own with screaming toddlers in the background is no easy feat. It took a lot of late nights cramming in my analysis and reviewing a ton of paperwork. But as a passive investor in apartment buildings, um, I mean, you still have to initially put in a lot of work, like review the investment summary, conduct, you know, my own, own due diligence, move some funds around, sign a, a private place memorandum and send a check. But then the next three to five years, which is typically the whole period for most of these investments, you just sit back and enjoy the cash flow. All it took was one investment for me to get hooked. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm not starting to sound like an infomercial a little bit. Um, uh, fast forward to today, I added another baby to the family and have invested in multiple apartments this way since starting. Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations on all that. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, so it sounds like your short-term goals was basically to just supplement your income so that you can be a stay-at-home mom. Have your goals kind of changed on what your passive investments are going to do for you long-term now? Uh, the, the goal is the same. Um, I, the goal is the same, uh, short-term, long-term. Our, our priority is cash flow. Um, my long-term goal is, though, financial independence, like many people, and uh, if we could generate enough cash flow to um, to replace, you know, we you know we're starting to replace my income that there, that we're that we have lost because I'm staying at home. But our goal is to replace my husband's W two income. So for our family, you know, our long term goals include 
no longer relying on anyone's employment to to sustain our lives and and you know not just now but through the end of retirement and to afford higher education for all our children and to spend a lot of time traveling together as a family and extended family um, continue to give strategically to a particular nonprofit organization that have been part of our family's lives from the very beginning so our goals um, now and the future I don't think are are very different Okay, perfect. So uh, as Alita mentioned, you were an analyst for Fannie Mae. Can you explain to the listeners what Fannie Mae does and uh, what is what it essentially is? Yeah, sure. Um, Fannie Mae is essentially a, a secondary mortgage company. And it was created after the Great Depression in, in the 1930s by Congress. It was part of FDR's New Deal to help rebuild the country after the Great Depression. Um, so it was designed to provide a source of consistent and reliable liquidity through the mortgage market. And it does this by buying mortgages from commercial lenders that conform to a certain set of guidelines, underwriting guidelines, and repackaging them into mortgage-backed securities, MBSs, that the government guarantees and then sells them to investors in Wall Street. So the company would make the spread uh, between the, the participating in these two different markets. Okay. And so do you feel like that helped you uh, being an analyst at Fannie Mae kind of into your uh, real estate career? And, and how did it help you if it did? Yeah, all my rotations at Fannie Mae, I was part of an analyst program that involved, um, you know, fresh graduates out of college, um, putting them through different rotations with the company. I've been on the single family mortgage side. So to be honest, I don't think I learned a lot about investing in multifamily specifically while I was there. But, um, but I, what I can tell you is that if you can work with a lender who is a Fannie Mae approved underwriter and servicer, you will most likely get the most competitive pricing with um, little execution risk because, as you know, Fannie Mae has the largest multifamily loan program in the country and is backed by the congressional charter. It's backed by the government. Um, but it will require a very sophisticated borrower to qualify for these types of loans. So. What that means as a passive investor is when you're shopping around for deals, you need to do your due diligence and try to work with operators who have a lot of experience in the specific asset type that you're looking to acquire so, um, so that you can take advantage of the program that Fannie Mae offers. So look for strong financial statements, conservative underwriting, that kind of thing in an operator, but experience first and foremost. Yep, absolutely. So if there was one thing that you can tell a new investor to focus on prior to investing, other than to just get started, what would that one thing be? Yeah, good question. I, I don't really think so. I, I, think, I don't think there was anything specific to having worked at Fannie Mae that gave me any sort of special advantage in, in, in investing, but perhaps because of my exposure to underwriting guidelines and mortgage acquisitions and knowing what a credit score you know, came from, um, that when my education in real estate investing began, I wasn't really intimidated by a lot of these jargons or um, terminology. I guess I could call that an advantage. Um, one thing that I would add though is that I've definitely had my share of Kool-Aid at Fannie Mae the premise to their entire business is that when people own their homes, the better they take care of their neighborhoods and their communities. So this mission side of their business, which was the bulk of my involvement there, was to encourage home ownership across um, underserved communities also who need extra resources to be able to get a mortgage in the first place. So as a real estate investor, I believe that that I'm contributing to that mission in a smaller way. But in multifamily in general, that impact in communities is much more scalable. 
Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell us about your most successful passive investment to date? And I know you've only been doing it for about a year, but um, I'm sure you have, well, you've mentioned you've had multiple, so I'm sure that they perform differently. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I wish I had a clear answer, but I, for my passive investments, it is a little too early to tell. Um, the returns are, we have um, preferred returns on uh, most of the investments that, I'm, that I've you know, invested in. The returns are the same right now, so it's too, too early to tell. Uh, they're currently performing as projected, and they, you know, as I said, they have a long hold period, about three to five years, and I started a year ago, so I couldn't say that one is more successful than the others at this point. Okay. And so are all these all value add type of syndication prop, um, properties? Yes. Okay. And so um, kind of switching gears a little bit, were you surprised at the time it took to see your first payments as a passive investor or did one take longer than another? Because, you know, when people invest, I think sometimes they automatically think, okay, I've invested, I'm going to get something back immediately. But with value add, sometimes it does take a little bit longer to stabilize the property. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that would really depend on the specific operator you're working with. Um, the one that I've been working with so far has uh, executed a lot of deals in this specific value add type of uh, uh, properties. And so there was um, no property actually took longer than I expected. Um, they, every property that I've invested in has closed on time and I started to see payments. Uh, a month or two into uh, the closing, actually, um, because you're still getting rents from the the, the property that was acquired, and uh, uh, this particular operator would not wait to uh, renovate, uh, you know, make renovations to the properties that they acquired. They would kind of do it in turn whenever there was a, a vacancy in, in the unit. Um, so the rent payments that that we as investors get. Uh, have been stable from the very beginning. Okay. And so what type of returns and um, overall cash on cash return are you looking for in your investments to make it a worthwhile investment for you? For passive investments, uh, if you're looking for a percentage in, in particular, I look for at least 8% in my returns. Um, for something that I'm involved in uh, directly, uh, independently hold, um, I would look for something that's 10 to 12%. Okay. And are you, you mentioned you're investing with one sponsor or do you ever see yourself investing with multiple sponsors or is there a reason why you're, you're kind of sticking with one? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's really important to, um, when you first start to really, you know, because you're, 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 you're learning everything from scratch and you're, 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 you know, learning as a, a new investor. I think it's important to, uh, do a few deals with the same operator to sort of learn as an investor what to look for in the deals and what you can expect in these investments. Um, but uh, the operator that I'm working with um, is is very specialized in one particular local uh, real estate market. And I do not want to be holding all of my investments in one uh, physical uh, location. So I definitely want to diversify my assets and uh, start to work with operators that are outside of that market as well. Okay. And so it sounds like you do really appreciate this operator and, and you like how they operate. What are some of the key things that um, from an operation standpoint and their communication that you really enjoy? Um, I really enjoy the fact that they have uh, had consistent and, and, and uh, a long history of success in executing their deals. Um, and they've been in that market for such a long time that they really understand 
the different types of growth that's happening in the submarkets within that area. Um, and I like, I, I, you know, I think uh, very um, uh, consistent and, and frequent communication is key to earning trust from the, from the investors. And they've been really good about giving us updates on all the, the, the value add uh, list of things that they, you know, they had communicated to investors that they would do. Um, and every month we would get uh, some sort of an update email on, on, you know, how they're meeting goals, how they're not meeting goals. Uh, we've been, we haven't had this scenario so far, but um, they would tell us like if the pool was renovated, uh, they would tell us how many rooms have, how many units have been renovated. Uh, and if we're meeting market expect, uh, if we're meeting our expectations. Um, so frequent communication, I've really appreciated. Um, but what I really liked was that um, they, this operator prioritizes capital, um, uh, preserving capital, investor capital. Um, so they, they definitely raise capital enough to cover for all the contingencies and the capital improvements that they're doing and all the bad case scenarios that could happen to the deal. Yeah, I love that. I mean, we, we follow kind of three rules of real estate investing, which is lock up long-term debt, make sure you raise enough capital on the front end to support all your needs. And um, the third one is make sure it cash flows, right? So sounds like uh, all three of those align with what you're investing in. Yeah, I, I think so. Okay, perfect. So um, obviously we're towards the peak at this stage of the market. Who knows if we're past the peak or, or coming up to it or when it'll come. But how do you feel about the stage of the market right now and continuing to invest in uh, passive deals? Yeah, uh, so I might be uh, alone here, but I'm, I'm actually a firm believer in that the best time to do anything in real estate was yesterday. Um, you know, that said, my answer is that we're in a transition period with most markets where it's still unclear if it's buyer's market or seller's market with the market normalizing most markets. But the, but the, the, the market is so, real estate is so hyper-local, like down to the street where I live in San Francisco, for example. So as always, I would, I'd exercise caution, but the same level of caution would apply whether, you know, I were investing in 2006 or in 2009 or, or now. So I, um, I'm not holding back. I, um, I'm, I'm very conservative investing to begin with. So I would, um, I, I would continue to hold by my investment principles, but, but not get held back by um, expecting fluctuations in the market in the future. Yep. Is there anything that you use from um, an analysis standpoint to do your due diligence on someone's deal other than, you know, reading the package and maybe doing a little bit of research on the, the property itself? Uh, other than what is presented to me, I do, I do my own fact checking. You know, I mean, you could, I'm, I sort of think that I, I love working with Google spreadsheets. So I'm always modeling something for, you know, every, for everything. Um, and uh, I, I, I try to do my own numbers. I try to run my own numbers on uh, whatever, uh, if, uh, if, 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 let's say, an investment packet says they're seeing X percentage of market growth and job growth, whatever, you know, I'm Googling and I'm actually checking to see if those employers that they have singled out in, in, in the investment summaries are actually coming and if that's just a speculation or if it's, it's actually uh, proven, if there, if there are plans to actually go there. Uh, you know, a lot of companies are moving uh, uh, headquarters to different markets, you know, 
moving in from sides of the coast to, to, to inward. Um, so I'm actually looking at all those companies' movements, uh, for example, um, but I run my own numbers. I would say that's in, in, in addition to you know, do the due diligence that I do on the investment packets that I get. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Lolita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? Sure. All right, Mina, in wrapping things up, here's our final four questions. Uh, what is the one tool that you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? Oh, I, so, so I mentioned this a little bit. I, I love Google Spreadsheet. It's sort of my lifeline. I, I use it every day uh, for at least a couple of hours. Um, you know, it's cloud-based, so you can use it wherever. You can reference it wherever. Um, I wouldn't be able to do any of my analysis, uh, as I just mentioned. Uh, I do my own performer projections, even the multifamily uh, uh, investments that I do. Uh, I run my own simulations, and I do my own bookkeeping. So I really can't imagine not having Google spreadsheets for any of this stuff. Um, even for basic budgeting, data gathering, uh, you know, when I talk about uh, are these companies that the, uh, the operator said are moving there, are they actually moving? So I would have a list of all the companies that they've mentioned and actually I would Google them and make, make sure that they are. Um, and, and such to figure out so many things in my personal finances also, it really helps me provide order in my life as an investor. Awesome. Uh, this next question you can uh, either answer due to your uh, residential rental uh, properties or passively investing, uh, but could you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing so far and what is the main takeaway for our listeners? Yeah, I'll, I will take a, a personal investment here. Um, my mistake was that I bought a single family house with plans to rent it out for a few years and then to eventually move into it. So I didn't analyze the property as a rental property, not just in terms of the numbers, but also in terms of the physical attributes of the property. I analyzed it as a primary residence and I wasn't even 100% sure that I would really move into it. So when I was touring this property, my head wasn't thinking, oh, there isn't enough storage space. That's not going to be attractive to renters. Instead, I was thinking, oh, no garage. That's okay. We only have one car and mm -hmm. the off-stream parking space is totally fine in California. Um, but, you know, look at this beautiful kitchen, uh, you know, a total amateur scenario. Um, as soon as we closed on the property, it was all downhill from there because, you know, our plan was to rent it out for a few years and then move there. The feedback from the potential tenants was, um, it was very clear. People liked the view of being on a hilltop, but didn't want to walk up to the house because it was on a hill. Uh, people liked the kitchen, but not that it didn't have enough closet space. So even in a hot market, when we bought the property, it took us about three full months to get a tenant in there. And that's just the beginning, right? Like it only takes one tenant to get out of the rental business in California. I will, um, I will spare you the fun details of being a landlord <laughs> because everybody knows that story. Um, but suffice to say, as soon as the lease ended, we cut our losses short and sold that property and moved on. So my very expensive lear lesson learned is that with every property you acquire, even if you're buying it as a primary residence, you don't know what's going to happen to your living situation. So you have to analyze the deal as if you're living, uh, as if you're a cash flow investor. So mm -hmm. make sure that you know, for any property you buy, whether it's wherever it's located, for whatever purpose you're getting it for, make sure that it cash flows. Yeah. And they say not to get emotionally attached, right? Exactly. Which is exactly why I went out of state um, after, after uh, beginning my real estate uh, uh, education again. <laughs> because, you know, when you're out of state, 
you don't actually get to tour the property. Um, yeah. In most cases, like I, I cannot fly with you know, kids. So I'm sitting and I'm, I'm just doing, um, you know, I'm, I have, you know, I, I'm looking at it from my screen and mm-hmm. I don't get emotionally attached and only numbers tell me what to do. Yeah. Well, Kyle still out of state tends to always get emotionally attached some way, somehow. So. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't go. All> right. <laughs> um, what is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? Yeah. Um, I need more time to network with other investors. I need this because, uh, as I mentioned before, I want to get to know other operators and partners investing in apartment syndications. When I asked uh, seasoned investors what has helped them most in their investing careers, they have all consistently said the same thing, is to find the right partners through networking. And so far, I have only been to a handful of networking events in my area. Getting out when you have three kids, three and under is a serious challenge. Um, So I've been doing most of my networking online, but I would like to take that to the next level by going out there and actually meeting people face-to-face. Fantastic. And lastly, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, uh, I do not keep my investing life separate from my personal life. So the best way to connect with me is on Facebook at Mina.Folkman. Beware, though, my husband may take over your news feed pictures. <laughs> if you want to avoid that, you can email, email me directly at Mina.Folkman at gmail.com. Awesome, Mina. Thanks so much for being on the show and opening the ears and eyes uh, of our listeners and showing us how you can shape not only real estate investing, but passive investing to fit your personal lifestyle. So we really appreciate your time and everyone else. We'll talk to you later. Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the passive income through multifamily real estate podcast and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.